All right, now we move to what? Part 26 of Law and Gospel. But we, we have an interruption to our series. All right, I received this message at 10.13 a.m. In Sunday school this morning, we covered Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. And the teacher and most of the congregation who participated in the conversation said, obviously, uh, Simon is a false believer because of what he tried to do. And then they, say, they asked this, maybe a good example or of a poor distinction between law and gospel, question mark. All right? So someone is sending me a message from their church, and they just had a Sunday school class in regards to that passage, and they want to know if this is a good or a poor, a good example or a poor example of a proper distinction between law and gospel. So, I probably shouldn't do this now, but we're going to try it in real time. So everybody go to Acts chapter 8 and let's see what happens. All right, I told them that I would have my congregation figure it out. All right, so it's all on you guys. All right, all right, can I do this? All right, I, I didn't hear any real... Okay, Acts 8. Acts chapter 8. Starting in verse 9. Everybody there? Everybody know the story, right? Okay, well, then that's good. We'll we'll see who does and who doesn't. All right, Acts chapter 8. All right. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. What, again, I think it's always, let's just start, let's just stop right here. All right, let's just, before we even start the text, all right? Is it not, or do you not find it interesting that a good portion of the Christian life seems to be spent determining who is and who isn't saved? Agreed? Yes, we, we make those determinations all the time. We make those determinations about other people. We make determinations maybe about a family member. And we make a determination about ourselves. Typically, all we know is that we're saved, but sometimes we have a feeling that we can always say who is and isn't saved, right? And what's the reality of it? What, what's the reality of it? We don't know. And how come we don't know? We can't see. We don't, we, we, we're not given information. We don't, do you get a text message whenever you're like, you know, or do you have an app on your phone whenever you get near someone? It goes beep, 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 saved. Okay, you're good. You're good. But whoa, okay, he's messed up. Okay, right, right. Is, is that the way, is that the way it works? I don't have that app. Do you have that app? Maybe we should make that app. It would just be fun to see if people would actually use it and think it works, right? Okay? And, I just, and it would just be set to randomly tell you who's saved and who's not saved. I wonder if we can make, we could sell it for like a dollar. I wonder if we could get rich doing this. Maybe we could. Okay. But, but, I mean, that's how some Christians act. Like, they think that they have it figured out. They have the, they have the detector. And it, it's just weird. So, I, I don't know. Uh, let, let, in the Bible, do you ever feel that it's our responsibility to figure out who's saved or not saved? It's just weird that that always ends up a conversation. There's certain people in the Bible that were like, well, was he? people will ask the question about Judas. People will ask the question. Now, in that case, I think Judas is pretty simple because Satan entered into him. I think, I think we're pretty good to go there, right? I think that's a pretty dead giveaway. But let's see what happens here. Because immediately we're going to, well, we'll just see. 
I'm just, I'm just curious to see how you, what you guys do here, all right? Everybody ready? Acts chapter 8, verse 9. I know this is completely d- separating us from what we're supposed to do, but I always say if anyone emails me, their, their, their issue goes to the front of the line. So here we go. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon, right? Which before time in the same city used sorcery and did what? Bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. Let's stop right here. Okay. Now, what can we say about someone using sorcery? Let's do this. Well, we're just going to go. We're going to go all in because that's what we do. Bible, grab Bible dictionaries. Grab a Bible dictionary. If anybody needs one, I have one right here. Anybody need one? Anybody need one? Here you go. That'll be $50. Okay. Bible dictionary. Look up sorcery. Look up sorcery. Look up sorcery. Once you find the entry, don't read. Look up at me and say, amen. I'm good to go. All right. Emma, give me the thumbs up. Tell me when you find it. Okay, good. I figured that's where we would go. You look up sorcery, it tells you to see magic. Now you have to look up magic. All right? and don't read it when you see it. Just, 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 just mark it. Got it? Everybody there? Okay, nope. Someone's looking. All right. Page 787. I got another Bible dictionary here. I didn't even realize it. If anybody needs one, may want one. Only going for $50 this morning. Okay. Anybody know one? All right. Okay, we're good to go. All right. We found it? All right. Now, when we think of the word magic or the the word sorcery, what's the first question we should ask ourselves? Forget Simon, right? Does everyone pronounce his name Simon? Okay, all right. I'm going to make sure. Okay, because I thought someone said something when I, when I read it that way. Okay, I was like, wait a minute. Am I saying his name incorrectly? Okay, all right. When you think of magic or sorcery, before we think of Simon, before we think of this story, before we think law and gospel, before we think anything, what is a good thing we need to determine about sorcery or magic? What do we need to determine? Oh, okay, okay, good, 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 right? I would phrase it this way, phrase it this way. When we think of magic or sorcery, is it something that's actually happening by the power of Satan or some demonic force, or is it just trickery, sleight of hand, an illusion? Which is it, right? Which is it? Is it the real thing, or is it something other? Everybody good with that? Agreed? Now, why is, this, why is this an important question? Then Satan's involved. Okay, good. Okay, good. And if it's not, well, then it's just someone tricking people. It's just an act. So that, that says a lot about the person, right? That says a lot about the person. Okay, so look at the dictionary. What does it say in regards to magic or sorcery? Just, you can just look at it really quick and then summarize to me what it says. We know it's condemned, yes? 
Okay, I think you're going to find the scriptures in what? Deuteronomy that condemns it? Deuteronomy 18, yeah. We know it's condemned. Ooh, it's an attempt to control evil spirits. That's what they say in regards to sorcery or to just magic in general? To both in general. It's an attempt to control evil spirits. So they're placing this in the realm of what? Evil spirits are involved. Evil spirits are involved. Okay, that, that's, that's already going to put us into some questionable grounds, right? Okay, does everybody at least see that? So the Bible dictionary at least places that this is somehow involved in the controlling of evil spirits or evil spirits are utilized in said practice, right? Now, that, now obviously, in modern times when we think of, some, they usually get away from the words uh, magician and use the word illusion, uh, when you have like Chris Angel or some of those, uh, David Copperfield is not as relevant as he used to be. Those are doing more of an illusion, right? Trickery, right? Not so much trying to contact any evil spirits, okay? But in this particular case, in the Bible, it's really connecting it to that. Now, why is this important? Because immediately in Acts chapter 8, verse 9, what do we read? There was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. The fact that he's using sorcery calls into question a little bit about him, right? So what would we say? If he's using sorcery and it is actually involved with evil spirits, how many would then say this would be a very questionable that he's a saved person? This would make us really hesitant, right? Because what we would have to ask, can a saved person use sorcery and use the power of demons in order to do things. That would, that, I think we would have a problem there. Yes? Okay, so far so good? Okay, yes, right. Um, so we'll, we'll see, all right? It, say, it does say before time, very good. That, that, that's, I'm glad, that's, see, that's, I like people paying attention to the text. Everybody see before time there? Anybody got a different translation? In Acts chapter 8, verse 9, and we got a different translation. Yeah, tell me what it says. <clears throat> this is good. Uh, she's, she's looking. She's going to tell us. That's good. I'm glad you uh, pointed that out. That's really good. Verse 9. 8, 9. had practice. It almost seemingly to describe this, he had done this in the past. That's a very good observation, right? Remember, what's the key to a good Bible study? Observation. She noticed immediately the tense here, right? Because if it says he had done it, then do we judge him on the present based off his past? Well, that's, that's what we have to ask, right? Verse 10. To whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is great, this man is the great power of God. They are viewing what he's doing as coming from God. Now, it is capitalized in the King James. I don't know which God they're attributing it to, but they're attributing it to some deity. Yes? So far, so good. And to him they regarded, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. 
Then Simon himself, stop right there. He believed. All right. The never-ending debate within the body of Christ, right? Okay. What is the, what is the never-ending debate within Christianity? The debate between what? Everyone say it. You may want to write this down. If we distinguish between law and gospel, this is the never-ending debate within Christianity, right? Legitimate belief and false belief, right? What makes belief legitimate? What makes it legitimate? What is the go-to answer in the evangelical world? Your faith is only as legitimate as your works are. If you don't have enough works, your faith is not legitimate. So now your belief is determined by what you do. Now what did we talk about? Remember early in this study, we talked about a definition of faith. Does everybody remember that in your notes? About what true faith is? Nobody remembers that? Okay, well, we won't have time to go back and cover all of that. Okay, but that was a very important discussion in this uh, whole series. We talked about the true, uh, what the elements are of faith, and we talked about repentance, and we talked about a lot of things, okay? All right, so, all right, we won't get into all of that. So, now the question is, it says he believed. So now, guess what? We come along, and what are, what, what are people going to do? Judge the legitimacy of this belief. So are we ready? Okay. Now, what do we know by someone, it says, verse 13, then Simon himself believed. What do we know? What do we know about people who who initially believe? What do we know? Tell me some basic things about people who just believe. Who just believe. Okay. Well, we believe is equated to salvation, Right. Okay, let's say I take one of the teenagers, right? Okay, and let's say that they've never been to church, don't know anything, just clueless, like they don't have a clue, right? They come to church and they believe in Jesus, all right? At that moment, we would, we would, obviously we're talking about salvation, but beyond that, what would we know about them at that moment? Do you think they're going to have it all figured out? They're going to pass every doctrinal test, theological test? Do you think they still may do some things that are kind of messed up? Yeah, yeah, they probably, probably are going to. Because even after you've been saved for a long time, you're still doing what? Sitting and doing things that are messed up. So it's very possible for someone to be saved and say and do things that are like, what are you doing? Right? Trust me, I did, I, yeah, I won't, go, won't go to all the things I was doing, okay? All right? But no, I mean, it, it, it happens, Yes? Okay, so we, we got to at least put that, we, we can't just say, you know, hey, because sometimes we almost act like the minute you believe, boom, you're like perfect. You can be, you believe 40 years and 40 years later, you're still not perfect, right? And I've known people who've been saved for a long time who will say some really messed up stuff theologically and I'll be like, what are you talking about? What is wrong with you, right? So we have to at least put that in context. So Simon himself believed, And when he was, verse 13, oh, so he believed and was baptized. Why is the baptism significant, especially in this context, in the biblical context? 
He's identifying himself with Christ. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Especially in their for In the Jewish mind, who was the only people who kind of went through a washing? Is when Gentiles were converted to Judaism. Remember, there were some steps that had to be taken. Circumcision, right? Sacrifice, and a washing, right? I can't remember the Hebrew term, but they were, they were basically when, that's why when John the Baptist was baptizing people, they were like, what is he doing? He should only be doing that to whom? Gentiles, right? And he was baptizing Jews. And like, whoa, this, we know about baptizing Gentiles who are coming in. So he's now identifying himself with Christ. What did he do? He continued with Philip and wandered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. How does the NIV translate that word wandered uh, in verse 13, Acts 8, 13? He was astonished. Now, He's been doing, supposedly, signs and wonders. He's been doing something. Now, we could assume he's doing it by evil spirits, but we're not sure. Because it seems like he's absolutely blown away by the miracles that who is doing? Philip. What what could that possibly tell us? Does that possibly call into question the legitimacy of what he was doing? I mean, I mean, he could be like, Philip, that's all you got? You, 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 don't you remember? Well, how, did he, how was Simon viewed? Go back to the early part. How did the people view him? The power of God. So if he was viewed as the power of God and he was doing these amazing things, you think the people, he would be like, that's it, man, Philip, come on. Let me show you how it's really done. But he's absolutely astonished. Astonished, which seems to indicate that whatever Philip was doing was far greater than anything Simon had ever done. Or he realized that what Philip was doing was legitimate and what he had been done had been nothing more than trickery. Right? I'm, not, I'm not making a judgment yet. I'm just, I'm just asking, making observations, right? We're just making observations. So he is astonished. Everybody see that? Okay, now he's astonished. And what is he? He's a new, he's a relatively new believer. Would that not be the indication from the text? He's a new believer. Does anybody remember being a new believer? Did you say dumb things? Did you do dumb things? Did you believe dumb things? Okay, yeah, I had a whole list of things, right? Okay, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe I'm... The only one, all right? Verse 14. What happens in verse 14? Now, when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now remember, you're in a transition book. A lot is happening. What is typically in the book of Acts? What was the typical way in many cases to know that the Holy Spirit and that salvation had come to a people? One of the ways they knew was tongues, right? This is why the whole Pentecostal idea that the way you know you have the Holy Spirit, you speak in tongues, right? That's one of the ways that this, this would identify itself, right? So then what happens? They pray. Verse 17, they laid their hands on them and they 
received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hand, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. Now, does that prove he's lost? What does it prove? Maybe confused. He's like, he, he, now, is there a little, is, do you see maybe a fleshly nature there? Yeah, because he's thinking, I got to get some of that. I, got, I, I want that power. Because he came from a, he used to be called the power of God. You, you can see that from a fleshly perspective. Yes? I mean, come on. You got to be able to relate to this a little bit. All right? So what happens? He says, saying, give, give me also the power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Now what's fascinating is, what he, he wants the power so that he can give the power. That seems like a good thing, right? Maybe? Now he could have questionable motives. <laughs> he could be like, maybe I could sell this as well. He could have questionable motives. Correct? Verse 20, but Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this wickedness and pray God if perhaps, uh, perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. And they, when they heard, and they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now, according to our, the message, the people in the congregation... The teacher and most of the congregation said, obviously, Simon was a false believer. All right. Now, this is a little bit of long gospel going on here, right? Okay. But let's, let's figure this out. So, gospel, let's, let's make sure we understand this. Gospel says what? That we're saved by what Christ does, right? And that is by faith. And faith is us believing in Christ, believing and trusting in him. Now, the question is, what constitutes faith belief or false belief? The claim that happened in a church somewhere just a little while ago, just a little while ago, right? While we, while we were teaching on law and gospel, they were teaching on this, right? That's why I always love figuring out what's going on in other churches, because sometimes it's fascinating. While we were talking the distinction of law and gospel, they were taking a text saying, all right. The gospel is, is your belief, you believe and you're saved, but they're going to come along, but, 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 but. It has to be what kind of belief? True belief. And how do we know Simon's faith was not true? Because he wanted to purchase the power of the Holy Spirit. Was he, did he receive a harsh rebuke? Very harsh rebuke. But who gave him that rebuke? Huh. Do you remember when Peter gave a, a great confession that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and, and Jesus says that that was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father? Wow. He, he, Jesus confessed who Jesus was. He's already been following Jesus, right? 
He's already turned away from everything. He's been following Jesus. And then what does Peter do almost about five seconds after that? Remember, after that, Jesus says, hey, guys, I'm going to be crucified and died. And Peter's like, basically grabs Jesus by the hands, pulls him aside, like, that is never going to happen. Why are you thinking that way? And what does Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. So are you saying Peter wasn't saved? No, he was thinking contrary to God. Does Peter say some really harsh things about Simon? Yeah. But what is, what is Simon's response to it? That sounds like repentance, does it not? Does he say, how dare you talk to me? If I want to buy the power of the Holy Spirit, I will. You can't tell me what to do. No, no. He, he shows humility. So, what do we know? He's a new believer. As a new believer, does he seem somewhat confused and perplexed by how this works? Does he say something that obviously is wrong? Does he seek to do something that's obviously wrong? And does he get confronted with it? Does he seem to show humility and repentance? Now, let's take that logically and apply that to anyone who's been a new Christian. As a new Christian, do you ever say and do things that are foolish and crazy? Do you sometimes believe and do things that are dumb? Do you get confronted and rebuked for it? And then do you hopefully feel bad and want to do better? That kind of sounds like every new believer, doesn't it? So on what basis would we say that he's lost? What, what, what would be your best argument, right? Okay, just imagine you're in the debate team, like in high school, because you have to debate both sides, right? What would be your best argument that Simon has lost? Your best argument you can give me. Come on, give me your best argument. Based off the text. The best argument that he's lost, that he's not a believer. You got the text right there. It's open book. Okay, verse 20. What does it say? Okay. I would say, I would say everything, all, the whole rebuke of Peter, that the money will perish with you, and then he goes on to say you're in the gall of bitterness. Okay, there's some pretty strong language, but remember, Jesus told, he called, he called Peter Satan for crying out loud. Okay, that's, <laughs> that, that's pretty bad, is it not? Okay, so I think I would, if I was going to use he's lost, I would go there. I'd be like, well, those, those words are pretty strong. However, what would be your best argument that he saved? Here's what I would go with. One, he's a brand new believer. We, we got to go with the fact he's a brand new believer. A brand new believer. And what is he witnessing? Cr- crazy stuff's going on, Right? Miracles are being done, signs and wonders. And we already have a lot of weird stuff going on, right? Well, these people believe, but they've yet to receive the Holy Spirit. I thought we received the Holy Spirit when we believe. We got some weird transition thing going on. And how do they seem to get the Holy Spirit? When they're laying on their hands, which leads to the whole, a lot of charismatic teaching on this, right? Okay? So there's a He's already with he, he tried to Try to figure all of this stuff out, right? You're going to be like, what is going on? So I, you can just walk up and lay hands and they get the spirit? Like, okay, well, then I want to do that. Now, in his mind, he thinks you've got to buy it, right? Now, 
I mean, he, he's been doing what for a living? Say it. He's been selling miracles. That's how he thinks it works. That's how he thinks it works. Right? Look, I'll, I'll just give you an example. Because some people would probably say that I was lost, okay? I was raised in a very messed up family, very, a lot of abuse, right? And when I became saved, do you think all of that just went away and everything, and I, everything made sense to me? No. So in my family, if you made a mistake, you got beat, right? You got messed up, right? If you're, if you're playing football in high school and they throw a pass, and even though it's five yards out of bounds, you go out there and you touch it and you drop it. When you get home, you get beat because you dropped a pass because you don't drop a pass. You touch it, you catch it. You don't catch it, you get beat. Because perfection is what's required, Right? Okay, got it. So how do you think that transitioned over into my Christian life? I commit a sin, idiot. I'd hit myself. I commit a sin, idiot. Now, is that a right way to think? Is that dumb? Is that me showing that I'm trusting in the grace of Christ? So you could say, you're lost. Was I lost? No, I was confused. I didn't understand. Thought I had to be perfect. 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 Some people will say that I wasn't saved after my mother died and everything started spiraling out of control. And if you drive this way, what, about 30 miles out into the middle of nowhere in a 3,000-acre ranch, and I went into the father's room and grabbed his gun and grabbed the gun and knelt down on the floor and got ready to pull the trigger to kill myself, some people say there was no way I could be saved and do that. Did that determine my salvation? My salvation is not determined on that. What was it determined on? On Christ. Was I a mess? Be nice now. Okay, no. No, I was a mess. I was an absolute mess. I spent eight weeks in a psychiatric hospital. That's always wonderful to talk, talk about. Oh, they, they witnessed all kinds of crap. They're like this. They, even they, they were like, you're too broken even for us. No, okay, they were like, you, you got some issues, right? We're, pl- we're playing some game. I, I can't remember what it was called. You had a paddle, boom, playing a game. And, well, I lost the game. And guess what I took and did with the paddle? I started beating myself like crazy. Like, I mean, like, they were like, you can't, you, stop! Like, they were like, you, you can't do this, right? So then they went and purchased, like, a big punching bag. And like, okay, whenever you make a mistake, you can go hit that. You can't hit yourself. We can't allow you to hit yourself. And I'm like, well, that's, it's not the bag's fault, It's my fault. I'm not hitting the bag because I'm angry. I'm hitting myself because I'm the one making the mistake. 
So I entered Christianity thinking that I was going to be the best Christian, the best. I was going to be better than everyone. I was going to read more, study more, and then everybody would tell me how great I am because then I would get everyone's approval because I was the best. You see, my whole, that's a whole messed up view of Christianity, right? I wanted Christianity because it was going to give me an identity, right? Instead of being the loser that no one liked, I would be the best. You know how messed up that is? And then when they started taking me to churches, right, so I could give my testimony, right, especially when, uh, to youth conferences or a youth service, and then I could get the teenagers to cry about my sad stories, then I felt like, whoa, yeah. Guess what? That was all wrong. That, I was giving my testimony for who? Complete, utter selfishness. I told myself I was doing it for God. I was doing it for me. I was doing it for me. You know how long that stayed in my... Yeah, it, it's probably still there. It's still in there. How many times have you done things in your Christian life completely for the wrong reason, wrong motivation? I mean, you're doing it about yourself. All the time. So what do I see with Simon? Is, is he wanting the power possibly for the wrong reason? Is he trying to get the power for the wrong, the wrong way? His, his whole thinking is messed up. But what, would you not expect his thinking to be messed up? Because it flows right from what he was doing. What was he doing for a living? As she said it, selling miracles for money. So does your thinking go immediately change when you become a Christian? No, man, your thinking is all... And what do we have a tendency to do? To take that thinking and do what with it? Merge it with our Christianity. And it turns into what? Some weird, mutated monster that we're like, what in the world is this? And sometimes it's not even really very Christian, is it? A lot of my Christianity when I was young was not very good Christianity. It was a mixture of all kinds of weird ideas, either that I learned growing up or from this or from this, and it was a mess. And I would have told you that, it went, that I've got it all figured out. So do we, what do we expect with Simon? I, I will argue that other than the, the rebuke that Peter gives him, and I would say that the rebuke proves that he's lost. I would if Simon didn't respond the way he said, responded. What kind of response is that? That's, that's, a, that's a, pray for me. It's almost like, what is he saying? I look, I don't understand this. I don't, just pray for me. I, I don't want that to happen to me. I, I don't understand this. So I will say, I don't know if this is a confusion of law and gospel, but in a roundabout way that it is. Because if we believe the gospel is that you're saved by believing in Jesus Christ, what are the indicators that he believed in Jesus Christ? He believed and he was baptized. Demonstrating that he showed himself connected to Christianity, right? And then even after he commits this sin, and isn't it amazing that a congregation would immediately say he's a false believer? You don't even give a new believer time to figure it out? Like, how do you judge, how do you judge a new believer? <laughs> like, like I, I've been saved 15 seconds. Well, you better get it all right. Because if you don't, we're going to say that you're lost. 
I, w- I wonder how many people in that congregation were saying he was a false believer. Wouldn't you love for someone to pull up the video when they were a first believer? Right? And you'd be like, what were you, what were you, what, what, you're, you're a mess. Would you, would you like a video when you first became a believer? Right? I wouldn't. And you'd be like, you, you were doing what? You were doing what? I'd be like, shh. Okay, we're going to delete that. You probably wouldn't even want a video of yourself today, right? I, I, don't, I think it's not fair to say that he was a false believer. I think that that... It, it, the, the, here's, so here's my argument for him being a believer. Number one, the text says he believed and baptized, meaning he was identifying with Jesus Christ, and that even after his rebuke, he didn't rebel, but he said, pray for me. Those are all good indicators. Next, he was a brand new believer, so I have to take that into consideration. Right? This is, this, this is the beginning stages of your Christian walk. What's the beginning stages of learning how to walk physically? Now you crawl, then you, then you try to stand up, and you do a lot of falling down. First time learning how to ride a bike. First time on skates. You do a lot of falling, right? You're like, whoa, what's going on here, right? There are a lot of things. Christianity is the same way. Why do you think we're so quick to want to say he's a false believer? I just think we're quick to always want to write someone off. And the fact that we're always quick to write someone off is because we can have confused what two things? Law and gospel. How do we judge? So let me ask you a question. How do we judge someone's salvation? Do we use law to judge someone's salvation or do we use gospel to judge someone's salvation? We use gospel. We use gospel. Now I'm going to wait here. We're going to have to stop. We, we can't even get to the book now. So I'm going, to, I'm going to tell this person that they messed up my entire sermon for today. Okay. All right. But that's okay. But, but uh, rem- yeah, they must be lost. There we go. Yeah, they didn't even care about my sermon. All right. Uh, but no, th- this is important. Okay. So we'll, we'll end with a couple of c- concepts. Where did I say you learn about law and gospel? We talked about it in the first hour. School of experience. Right. It's trying to figure it out. But here's the thing. In a roundabout way, that congregation and all the people and the teacher, whoever was there, who viewed him as a false believer. Now, that still was happening in a church, but they carry that attitude where? Into life. And so if someone shows up and does A, B, C, or D, what are they willing to do? Say they're a false believer. And what are they using to judge someone's status as a believer? They're using law. So, let me, so let's ask, so I'm just going to, this is very important. Everybody ready? Thinking caps on? Thinking caps on? What is required, like this becomes a very important question. What sin or what mistakes indicate someone is a false believer? Because you see the game that gets played here, right? So Simon tried to purchase the power of the Holy Spirit by money. They're saying that's a bridge too far, right? But what if someone is a brand new believer and they continue to engage in sexual sin for the next two years? 
Does that make them no longer a, that they're a false believer? Some would say, well, two years, that's too long. Or how about a year? Okay, well, may, six months. Well, may, a month. And then if we, now, if we remove, I can throw in other sins. But you know what I know about that young believer? They're going to be committing sin of some sort, right? So then which sins tells us that they're not a believer and which sin tells us? Because isn't that the game we play? Certain sins, you're disqualified. Other sins, you're not. How does that work? Does the Bible tell a wife to submit herself to her husband as unto the Lord? Okay? Do you think a new believer who's a wife is going to immediately pull that off? I mean, some of you have been saved a long time and you still haven't pulled it off, right? That's for you, Mr. Goodley. I'm trying to help you out. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> I'm joking. All right. So, but that's true, right? Okay, right? So, guess what? Does that make the woman unsaved? Now, all the, so all the women were like, absolutely not. She's good to go. All the women comes to her defense, right? But, if, but, if, but what if she was committing another sin? You see, there could be other sins that we would say, oh, she's not saved. You see how subjective it is? We just artificially throw in. No, now look, she can be unsubmissive to her husband 24 hours a day, seven days a week and still be saved. But, 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 if she commits this sin, she's done. Here, this one, this one, let's try this one. Let's say someone becomes saved right? They're still confused. And then you walk over to their house one night. You knock on the door and they say, come in. And you walk in and all the lights are out. There's a couple of candles lit on the table. And you walk over like, what are you doing? You're praying, you're reading. They have a Ouija board. Are they immediately unsaved? Some of you want to say, yes, I can feel it. Some of you are like, absolutely. But wait a minute. So, so if, she's, if she's unsubmissive, she's good. But if she pulls out the Ouija board, she, you see how subjective that just became? That doesn't necessarily mean she's lost. It means she still may be, she may not even know that it's bad or wrong. I'm, I'm going to get emails on this. People are going to go, go lose their minds, right? Okay, they're going to lose their minds. Like how? That's absolutely not. There's, I know this may come to a shock, but there's been plenty of Christian teenagers who are actually saved who probably have done something with a Ouija board on a Friday or a Saturday night somewhere. Okay? I, can, I guarantee you, okay, somewhere, I, I bet, I bet. Or maybe they just didn't hang out with the cool people that I hung out with, right? Okay, all right? Because we would take it to the Buffalo Gap Cemetery at midnight and sit on a freshly dug grave and use it, okay? Because that was the cool way to try to get to the spirit. I mean, it, they just died. It's got to work better this way, right? Okay. okay, you were like, yeah, that's crazy. Okay, well, maybe you didn't have good friends in high school, okay? But the, you see, the point is, is, would that make someone unsaved? Oh, you know you would think it. You drive past the Buffalo Gap Cemetery. What's going on there? Oh, there's some of the kids from the youth group. Oh, I, I wonder if one of their fa- what are y'all doing? What is this? What are you got a Ouija board on a grave? 
What is wrong with you? Go home! Yeah, the next day there would be a meeting at the church, right? They're witches! Burn them! Okay, well, hopefully, hopefully your church doesn't. <laughs> That's a little extreme, okay? Going back to Salem and the witch trials, okay? But you get the idea, right? And it, and it, and it, see, that would be a bridge too far. But what if you drove up at Alsop's and they come stumbling out and they're drunk? Would that, you probably would say, well, they're young and they make foolish mistakes. Isn't it weird how one thing, you're still saved? Back when I was in high school, if they were drunk, that didn't call into question your salvation. Now, I didn't do the alcohol. I was the one doing the drugs. So guess what? Drugs was the bridge too far. Alcohol, even though alcohol is a drug, I, I never made any sense. You could get drunk at a keg party and you're good to go. But if I was doing the drugs I was doing, then that made me not saved. How does, how do, who makes those rules? Isn't that a weird rule? I, I can keep pushing the illustrations until I make everyone mad, okay? All right? But the point is, it's so arbitrary. You, you can't, that's why you can't judge on action, because for every, look, I don't care. I can find an action that you're doing what? You're sinning. So what's the issue? Have you, say it. Okay, well, people judging, but the real issue is, has a person put their faith in Christ? Because what is salvation based off of? Christ. Now, am I saying, go grab a Ouija board and go to the cemetery Friday? Now, I'm not saying that, Right? What I'm saying is we judge people's salvation on a very subjective scale. And a lot of it it depends on your background, right? There's some things in your background that you just think that's the most insane thing I've ever heard. Where from my background, I'd be like, you're upset about that? That's nothing. What's that? That's no big deal. So we would be judging it based off our past experience. We wouldn't even necessarily be judging it according to scriptures. Right? Because I had lots of, look, after I became saved, every, I mean, well, anytime the club was open, I was there. I was always in a dance club on a Friday night or a Saturday night till 1 a.m. And if you saw the way I was dancing, you would have been like, absolutely no way. That is salvation. Okay? That is, no. That's not right. That's not, that's sin. Okay? I would, have been, I would have been condemned a hundred times over. But did that determine my salvation? But I was still going to the club. I may be at church on Sunday, but Friday or Saturday, I was in the club. That's where I wanted to be. I love the club more than church. Because I was still trying to figure out what? The whole Christian life, man. whole Christian life is a struggle, is it not? You become a Christian, you're given a morality that goes beyond your ability to keep it. So, I'll end with this. Simon was a new believer who made some really foolish statements and sought something in an incorrect way. Possibly even for the wrong motive. Did he receive a very sharp rebuke? 
Yes. If you're a believer, have you ever received some sharp rebukes? Yes, I have plenty of times in my life. And guess what? They were necessary and they were needful. Most sometimes, though, instead of getting the rebuke, I just got told I wasn't saved, which usually is not super helpful, is it? Right? So I'm going to say that we don't judge people's salvation based off what they do because I can always find a way to call your salvation into question. Does everyone understand that? I don't care who you are. Some of you would be like, you were doing, why, why were you going to a club? Why, why, were, why, were you, why were you doing this? Why were you doing that? Like, it may not make any sense to you, but I could sit back and look at your early Christian life and going, but wait a minute, wait a minute. You claim to be a Christian? And it took you how many years to figure out that theological truth? Wait, you were a Christian for how long before you read the church fathers? Wait, it, how long have you been a Christian and you haven't read a systematic theology? What, was, what were you doing? I may have been in the club, but I was reading the church fathers and systematic theology, and I was studying my Bible every chance I got. So I could sit there and look at you and go, what's your problem? And you could look at me going, yeah, but I don't go to the club. You see what it turns into? That's not the way it works. Salvation is based off what Christ has done. I will argue that Simon was a believer who was still young and new. And a baby. And if he, because if you say he wasn't saved, what do you do with the people in 1 Corinthians? What did Paul say about them? Well, Paul referred to them as carnal. But at the same time, babes in Christ. Meaning a babe in Christ can be completely carnal. Okay. Simon, I don't even know if you would throw him in the realm of carnality. Right? Because he, I would put him, where would you put Simon? Carnal or confused? I would put confused. But you see how, you see trying to play this out, why it's important? Because it even comes to how do we, remember the very next thesis is going to say you can't understand the Bible without properly understanding law and gospel. Acts 8 just gives us an example. How, how we understand law and gospel determines how we interpret this passage. Because if you mix law and gospel, how do you judge Simon? Lost. If you, if you properly distinguish law and gospel, how do you dis- judge Simon? I, confused, saved, but needs to be rebuked. He needs to stop trying to purchase the power of the Holy Spirit with money. Come on, Simon, what are you doing? Right? I bet you some young Christians think that they can power the favor of God by giving money to the church. Oh, you've probably heard those kinds of sermons, right? If you give the right amount of money, give your 10%, then all the things are going to go well for you. So you're thinking, okay, maybe if I give my tithe, then I'll fix all my financial problems. Guess what? You're giving the tithe for the wrong reason. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this afternoon. Lord, we thank you for this question, and we thank you for being able to look at this text. Lord, just forgive us when we try to judge whether someone is a believer or not a believer. Lord, we always fall short of it. But let us just never forget that the only reason anyone is a believer and is saved is because of what your son did, not because of what we can do, fail to do, try to do, because I can always find some example that would prove that we're not, because we never fulfill your law the way we should. So forgive us 
And let us just be glad that our salvation is found in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. And God's people said,